Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. This was such an exciting weekend for us to... Uh, devote an entire weekend to the life and works of one of the great figures of the 19th century, Clara Schumann. Clara was a towering piano virtuoso, considered one of the greatest pianists of the entire 19th century, but she was also uh, a great composer, actually, unbeknownst to many people, an incredible business person who planned and executed her own extensive concert tours all over Europe and England, uh, all the way to Russia and beyond. Uh, She was a a great teacher until the very end of her long life. She lived into the 1890s to the age of 77. And, uh, oh, by the way, She was uh, the mother of eight children, seven of whom lived into adulthood, and the spouse, the wife of one of the great composers of the 19th century who had, dare we say, special needs. Robert Schumann suffered his entire life, it seems, from extreme manic depressive behavior. He ended up at the end of his life uh, in an institution for the last two years of his life and and died what I suppose they would have called at the time clinically insane. Uh, So she had a lot to do. She was an, an amazing polymath, just a, a, a multitasker, a person who got so much done. And uh, we were fascinated by her. And because this season, uh, the Albany Symphony is celebrating the, the through theme of the entire season as a celebration of phenomenal women, we wanted to take a weekend and really focus on this amazing figure from the 19th century who, in essence, managed to do so much, uh, much, much more than was ever expected of or usually allowed by uh, women of the time. Uh, and we wanted to explore how it was possible that Clara could have done so much, been so successful, been so effective, and the impact that all of that had on her compositional life. From the time she was a small child of 11 or 12, uh, all through her adult life, she, she dominated the concert stage as a performing pianist. Uh, she was much revered by the, the great figures of her time, not only by her uh, husband, Robert Schumann, but by her dear friend, Felix Mendelssohn, the great pianist Franz Liszt, Chopin, all the figures of that time really revered her as a performing artist. And she had just an, an unbelievable career playing in all the greatest music uh, capitals, centers, uh, touring extensively across Europe. She played more than 1,300 public concerts and countless more private salon concerts in her 61-year performing career. Uh, And as a young person, she uh, was raised by her very domineering and quite brilliant father, Friedrich Wieck, to become this unbelievable tour de force, uh, uh, polymath, performing musical genius. Uh, It was he who also trained a young man named Robert Schumann, uh, who came to to join their family as a student living in their house uh, when Clara was only nine years old. 
And then uh, Robert left, went off to law school, uh, eventually abandoning law school, convincing his mother to convince Mr. Wieck that he could come back and study uh, again with Wieck to become a great concert pianist, which was his original plan. Uh, and when Clara was, I guess, 12 or 13, Robert reappeared in Leipzig uh, and spent two years studying with her father. So in essence, even though there was a nine-year difference between Clara and Robert, uh, he was born in 1810. She was born in 1819, so nine years his junior. Uh, by the time she was 15 or 16, their friendship, and he'd been like a big brother or almost like a, a babysitter to Clara and her brothers, that friendship had begun to turn into a romantic attachment and uh, it became one of the great love stories of the 19th century uh, to the point where because Friedrich was so possessive of his daughter and I guess for various reasons uh, worried about the idea of her marrying Robert, a gigantic multi-year lawsuit ensued in which Robert sued for Clara's hand, uh, finally winning the lawsuit. Terrible years of Friedrich Wieck spreading slander about Robert and even about his own daughter and essentially disowning her for a period of some years. They're marrying, Robert and, and Clara, having a very large family. And not only Clara continuing to have incredible global success, but Robert as well, who had given up uh, playing because of a hand injury, uh, developing an extremely successful career as composer, but also as a, a journalist. He founded his own journal on new music, essentially. Uh, and eventually, after some years of their marriage, Friedrich came back around, and they somehow sort of reconciled. But an amazing life that Clara Schumann had. Throughout uh, most of these periods, uh, from her childhood through middle age, she composed as well as performed. And uh, while her her output was very small. It's it's become of, of great interest to, to many, many people, uh, one, because of the, the great quality of it, and two, because of the question of why it was that such a gifted composer didn't really pursue composing. Was it because she was being deferential to her composer husband? Was it because she was too busy playing the piano to really pursue a full composing career as well? Uh, was it because of the role that women played in society in the time where they simply weren't accepted as composers, um, or was it a variety of, of, of issues? And in fact, that seems to be the case, that, that yes, Clara did feel that she could never be a, a wildly successful public composer, and so most of her works ended up being chamber music for friends, uh, songs, uh, solo piano music for her own use. Uh, for whatever number of reasons, even though she was a, a, a composer of the very greatest quality, uh, her output was very small. So on this Clara Schumann weekend, we wanted to feature her one big orchestral work, which happens to be a very juvenile work, a work she wrote between the ages of 13 and 15 for her own use, a concerto. Which is featured on the program on the on the concert, but we also added a, a pair of beautiful recitals uh, with students from the Bard College Conservatory Vocal Arts Program and Instrumental Program. Her greatest chamber piece, her her trio for piano, violin, and cello, as well as some of the most extraordinary art songs and and also very very beautiful piano works. So we had a great weekend celebrating Clara. But here now is the the concert that uh, features her piano concerto and also the. Great greatest piano concerto that was written for her by her husband, Robert. Uh, so two Schumann concerti, or I should say, actually, the, the Clara Schumann concerto is technically a Wieck concerto because she was still Clara Wieck at the time she wrote it. She was still her father's daughter and not yet married, along with works by her very close confidant and friend in later life, Johannes Brahms, and a new work by Lauren Loyacono. We open our program with a work by, by Clara's greatest friend after the death of Robert Schumann, uh, Johannes Brahms. 
uh, as you may remember, just before Robert Schumann's final breakdown and, and institutionalization, about a year before that, there was a knock on their door, uh, and uh, on the Schumann's door, and their young friend, the brilliant violinist Josef Joachim, showed up with this dashing young 20-year-old man uh, who was a pianist and composer, and the fellow sat down at the piano and started playing some of his compositions. Clara and Robert were absolutely amazed and stunned by the brilliance of this young pianist whom nobody had ever heard of and uh, immediately kind of adopted him almost as a, a son or a nephew. And both of them, particularly Robert, trumpeted his, uh, his great genius to the larger musical community in his journal. There's a famous quote, hats off, gentlemen, a genius. It was none other than Johannes Brahms. Brahms ended up becoming very, very close to Robert and Clara, but within a year of, of meeting him, uh, Robert really descended into, into madness and was institutionalized, and uh, Brahms uh, spent a great deal of time with Joachim, his violin-playing friend, visiting Schumann in the institution, trying to help the situation, and he began increasingly to spend time uh, at Clara's home, helping really, really with her, her seven children and with all the household chores, and really became a, another member of the family, a, 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 a real partner and, and support to her. A lot of conjecture, of course, about whether their uh, relationship was romantic. My guess is that as long as Robert Schumann was alive, there would be no doubt that Clara, who was so in love with him, would never have considered uh, being unfaithful to him. And then shortly after Robert Schumann's death, two years after he entered the institution, some sort of a, a break, not, not that their friendship ended. In fact, they remained best friends really to the ends of their lives. They died a year apart in 1896 and 1897. But um, the relationship cooled somewhat. I don't, I'm not at, at all clear on whether it was Clara saying she could never you know, have another husband or uh, Johannes realizing that he needed some distance. But um, they remained closest confidants and musical partners uh, for their entire lives. And whenever Brahms would write a work, he would first send it to Clara for her criticism, her observations, her help. Uh, she was really a, not only his muse, but really a, a very close advisor of his. He did that with all of his works, including this great overture, the tragic overture, which he wrote in 1880. He'd been granted a, an honorary doctorate uh, and had, had fashioned the Academic Festival Overture, uh, a very joyful, jolly work uh, based on student drinking songs. And uh, he decided as sort of a counterbalance to that as a, a different kind of work to be a companion to it. He also wrote this additional overture, the tragic overture. Uh, he really had said at some point that it could have been called the serious overture or the tragic overture. It's not specifically about any specific tragedy, but it just is very serious and, and dark in coloring. A very, very beautiful one-movement work. It always sounds to me like the first movement of a symphony that never got completed, uh, but it is a, a remarkable piece with a fantastic fugue in the middle of the development section right in the middle of the piece. Here it is now, uh, Brahms's tragic overture, performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Johannes Brahms's tragic overture, performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Next on our program, uh, a fascinating piece that we uh, commissioned for this concert specifically uh, to be, in a certain sense, an homage to Clara or to the, the role that Clara Schumann played and continues to play in the world of music, particularly for women creators. It's a work by one of our favorite 
very much living composers. Lauren Loyacono is a fairly recent doctoral grad of Cornell University. She has a master's and undergraduate degree from Yale University. She's a brilliant young person who now lives and works in New York City, where she runs the Mata Festival of New Music. We've had a number of commissioned works from her. And I invited her to write a piece, sort of a a response piece, just to the idea of Clara. And she thought long and and hard about that and actually wrote a piece that doesn't reference Clara directly. It's rather more abstract than that. But it does sort of respond to certain issues that that were very much front and center in Clara's life. I want to just read a, 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 a short quote from a letter by Clara in which she talks about being a composer. She says, I once believed I had creative talent, but I have given up this idea. A woman must not desire to compose. There never was one able to do it which is, I think, very poignant and sad. Clara did, in fact, continue to compose into middle age until about the death of Robert Schumann. And after that, in, in the mid-1850s, she, she didn't compose further. She was sort of conflicted about whether women were even allowed to compose. There's another really poignant and, and upsetting quote from Clara in which she speaks about her trio, her brilliant trio, which is a great masterpiece of 19th century music. She says... It is fairly successful as far as form is concerned, but naturally it is still woman's work, which always lacks force and occasionally invention. Could anything be more offensive than that in terms of the idea that 19th century women were instructed or or made to believe that that was in fact the case? Well, I'm, I'm delighted to report that in the 21st century, that I hope is no longer the case. We have so many wonderful composers who are women, who are active working today, more I think than ever before, and and more of them being embraced and championed and performed, uh, and Lauren Leocono among them. But Lauren actually chose to write a piece which she calls Muse, Mute, Mate, Made. She's very into alliteration. And the way she described her piece was really as um, a response to the idea of Clara and other 19th century women creators feeling like they were not able to give voice to their ideas. So the piece is constructed in a way where it begins with a very loud kind of explosive music, very briefly. But then much, much, much of the material of the piece is almost at at whisper level it's it's as if it's as if someone wants to say something but isn't really allowed to give it full voice and it, i think at some level is really about this idea of of the repressed voice of earlier women creators but they're beautiful very elegant and and fascinating effects there's kind of a a, a robert schumann like rhythmic figure that goes through the whole piece that you hear very quietly in the clarinet and then you hear it on a on a, a drum pad it's not actually played by a drum but actually even softer than a drama, the kind of thing that a, a drummer practices on in, a, in hotel rooms. But through that are these beautiful little chorales in the muted strings. In fact, they're heavily muted. There's a, a typical mute that you put on a string to make the sound, on a string instrument to make the sound softer. Then there's something called a practice mute, which looks like a big, gigantic instrument glove that you put over the bridge that really masks the sound, all the extra beautiful resonance of the sound. And she has the string solos play with these practice mutes. So you hear this kind of echoey, ghostly kind of chorale. And so the idea sort of shifts back and forth between these loud outbursts of really trying to express oneself and these really beautiful, intimate, but somehow choked or or silenced voices trying to be heard. And that's really the, the, the idea of the piece. It's about a seven-minute piece, as with all of Lauren's pieces, uh, very elegantly conceived and beautifully wrought and 
in spite of her not wanting it to sound too good. I think it still sounds quite, quite beautiful. Here now is the world premiere of Lauren Loyacono's Muse, Mute, Mate, Made. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. The second half of our program featured one great work, very closely linked, of course, to Clara Schumann. It's not by Clara, but it's by her husband, Robert, one of the great, great composers of the 19th century, but also at a certain level, in a certain way, one of the most troubled composers of the 19th century who suffered through his life with what I have to believe is is extreme manic depressive behavior. He he sank into terrible depressions through his life. Uh, As a young man, he contracted syphilis, which went into remission for most of his adult life, and it's now considered that the, the main cause of his his insanity at the end of his life when he was institutionalized for the last two years of his life and really lost all of his powers of speech, of thought, uh, hallucinations, the uh, body tremors, uh, every possible horrible thing you can imagine, uh, that that was actually what I guess is called tertiary syphilis. It's a return of the, the syphilis that then completely destroyed his, his body and his mind. Very tragic life uh, that Robert Schumann had, but in the middle of this life, Life, a beautiful 14-year marriage to the, the love of his life, to Clara Wieck. The Schumanns married the day before Clara's 21st birthday and uh, had 14 very happy years before Robert was institutionalized. And Robert and Clara were, were very, very closely um, connected in every way imaginable, not just maritally, but but creatively. Uh, they had both studied with the same teacher, Clara's father. They both uh, learned composition in many ways at the same time from the same instructors. Uh, they traded ideas. They shared ideas. Uh, at one point, they even collaborated on a song cycle together. Um, so they were, were artistically so enmeshed with each other that it's a little hard to know where Robert stopped and Clara started and vice versa. Whatever the case, this work was written entirely uh, with Clara in mind and, and written for Clara, written for her use. The work was written in 1845 and uh, at a very happy time in their lives. Uh, Robert, like Clara, began his concerto as a one-movement work. It was a, a fantasy, which he had actually written in, in 1841. She performed it around, but it, it didn't really catch on because it was kind of in this unusual form, one-movement form. It was, in fact, what would become the first movement of Robert's concerto. Interestingly, uh, he thought of the two additional movements as completely linked. In fact, they're, they're linked musically in that there's not a pause between them. There's a wonderful little transition uh, introducing the material of the finale, but he, he actually, you know, called the middle movement interlude and connects it to the finale and really thought of the two as one unit together. So it has this big, fabulous, dramatic opening uh, movement, one of the iconic great, great movements in all of, of piano music history, and then this beautiful, intimate interlude leading to the very triumphant and dynamic finale. I should mention that Robert loved to encode secret messages, uh, literary messages, uh, wordplay in his musical composition. He would assign certain letters to certain notes and inscribe the name of Clara or Chiara, as he sometimes called her. Uh, There's a, a, a suggestion that the initial theme 
is a, a depiction of, of Clara, and that, that her idea permeates the entire movement and the entire concerto. Uh, that also happens to be the opening thematic idea of the, the Floristan aria from Beethoven's opera uh, Fidelio about true love, etc. So there are all sorts of resonances and little puzzles and, and cryptic messages that, that Schumann encodes into his music. Uh, the piece is known in 19th century piano literature as being the most fully integrated uh, concerto, this particular movement, in fact, concerto movement in that the, the piano and the orchestra are constantly in, in dialogue. If you know those early Chopin concerti, which are great, or the Liszt concerti, you know, it's really piano plus orchestra. This music is so fully integrated in that the piano says something and the orchestra responds and vice versa. And there's an unbelievable integration of the two elements. I have to believe as if the orchestra were Robert and the piano were Clara. And it makes it one of the most lyrical and beautiful movements in all of, of piano concerto history. The second movement, again, very intimate and beautiful. And the third movement uh, is a, a, a very special movement. Uh, not only is it rhythmically dazzling in, in the best Schumann-esque way, but it, it has the most incredible rhythmic tricks in it. At one point, even though uh, the, the movement is really in three, um, Bum, bum, bada, bada, bum, bum, ba, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. There's a certain point at which it just becomes bum, 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 a march in two. He doesn't change the meter. It's just that he manages to, within the context of this very strong three, to create this unbelievable counter subject that is essentially in an entirely different rhythmic organizational format. And then there's a wonderfully tricky passage that conductors fear where the, the piano and the orchestra keep sort of changing where the, the downbeat is. Mendelssohn supposedly had a terrible time at the premiere negotiating this as the conductor. He was quite confused by it. And so I'm always delighted when things fall apart to be able to tell the orchestra, don't worry, Mendelssohn found this difficult too. It's fine. We'll work it out. But it's just an amazing, amazing uh, creative achievement. Here it is now, a work that he wrote for his beloved wife, Clara, Robert Schumann's magnificent piano concerto from 1845. It's performed by pianist Harmony Jew with the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.